0: All right, that was a little music by Laura Viers, uh, her CD Year of Meteors, and that was track one, Fire Snakes. You were listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Standing by to join us next up is author Sarah Alexander, and she's calling in to talk about her latest book, Under a Sardinian Sky. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning. As I mentioned, I guess you're calling in from upstate New York, my old yes, neck I of the am. woods. Yes, beautiful. That's so nice. Yes, all my
1: husband's family are here, and oh, so we're back and forth very regularly, yes.
0: Just don't go in the winter? No. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I learned the hard way. Oh, uh, yeah. you did? Oh, he actually had you go in the wintertime? Oh, time? yes, we've <gasps> been here in the winter many times. We used,
1: we lived um, in New York City for a while, and then we lived up here, and now we're back and forth between the UK.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah,
1: I've done a little bit of snow blowing. It sounds like But not it. enough to make me like a native New Yorker. So oh, okay.
0: All right. My stripe. So let me jump into this book. How did you decide yes. to come up with this uh, whole concept for Under a Sardinian Sky?
1: The protagonist of the book is based um, entirely on a real woman, my mom's late sister, who I never met. And it just felt like she was trailing my periphery as long as I can remember, since I found out about her about age 10.
0: Is that Carmela? So, Excuse me, yeah, is that Carmela? exactly. Okay.
1: Carmela is the main protagonist, and... Um, and finally, when I was in New York City, I rolled up my sleeves and decided, at last, I had to actually write it instead of talking about it. Yeah.
0: No, it makes sense. I love when people blend fiction and nonfiction. It's like you, you want to get the stuff out that's the real heart of your past or your roots, but you want to make it a non uh, excuse me a fictional story.
1: Yeah, I mean the main the story, the the characters, and how they interact is totally fictionalized. Mm-hmm. And um, in fact. Um, <laughs> when my mum first read it, who is one of the younger sisters in the book, um, she turned to me after, you know, it was all published and it's out, and she said, you know something, Sarah, Carmela never cooked. She really was not a good cook. I'm like, oh. what? <laughs> the story is kind of built around her food and her relationship to food and how it um, draws parallel to what's going on in her real life. And I was like, thank goodness you didn't tell me that.
0: And I Thank know. goodness,
1: you know. You mustn't let the truth get in the way of a good story.
0: That's true. <laughs> and because you want to put part of yourself in it. And you have a love for cooking, right? You have yes, I'm,
1: yeah, I'm obsessed with food. You
0: are. How, why yes. is that? Because um,
1: I think it's alchemy, and I think it's magical, and I think that you really can sense how a cook's frame of mind is by what they bring to your table. Oh, um, yes. And my friends roll their eyes, you know, if we're out. We might be having something very simple. I'm not talking about high-end cooking. I'm not obsessed really with corn and Michelin stars and all that. Mm-hmm. But I will turn to them and say, I, this cook is, like, really passionate. And then even if it's, you know, a food truck or something very simple, I, I do believe that you really can sense where a person's at by their food. Oh, so I, it's agree. The I agree. Magical
0: thing. I agree. I used to be really addicted to junk food, and I completely cleansed myself and went through a lot of different, like, insightful moments, and I became a vegetarian and oftentimes oh, wow. vegan, and and I feel so much better. But I can definitely look back and think, oh, there was a time when I was eating all that stuff, and I felt exhausted yeah. and depressed. and
1: I, I can understand that completely. And from a Sardinian perspective, I mean, their food... Um, is a celebration of, you know, triumph over hunger, which is something we don't really know all that much about in the Western world. I know a lot of people do live in great poverty, but food to us now is often like a stopgap or a fill the hole. Yes. Well, my mom's generation and my grandmother's generation, food was survival. And look, it was a celebration of being alive in spite of the weather or scarcity or... Adversity, you know, nowadays it's like cork, you know, but right. those days it was it was a moment of reverence and um, worship, really, you know, church-free worship.
0: Right. So what are some, and then that was going to be my next question, but what are some foods that represent your Sardinian background?
1: Well, um, they... Most of my Sardinian ancestors were about as far from vegetarian as you can get, I'm Mm -hmm. afraid. (laughs) That's all right. But they were not very wasteful. So, for example, um, uh, there is one chapter which is set during November, which is the time when they would slaughter the pig, which they would have fed throughout the spring and autumn. Mm -hmm. And then they use every single part of that animal to get them through the darker months. Um, And, of course, there's a lot of homemade pasta, which they... You know, they would have made by hand in between all their other chores that mostly the women would take over inside the home, and everything was made from scratch, from things they'd they'd grown in the farm, um, their own tomatoes, their own
0: herbs,
1: and so forth.
0: How did you get involved in acting on the stage and screen? Because I I read the credits uh, such as Doctor Who and the seventh Harry Potter film. yes.
1: (laughs) <laughs> well, the thing is, I've been sort of wandering around in a make-believe world since I became conscious. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't have many memories of afternoons where I wasn't dressed up as someone else, cute, uh, or always thinking about who I would be that afternoon.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and to me, uh, the acting and the writing are kind of intertwined. Someone asked me if I'd been writing all my life. And I was like, no, not at all. And then when I was talking to them, well, I wasn't sat down with a pencil in my hand, but I was pretending to be in other places all the time and seeing other worlds. And so I went into acting and maybe writing from a very young age. And I was a child actor. I would do professional work alongside my regular public schooling. Um, It was a bit of a... um, I was kind of compelled to do it. I would say nagged my mother. Oh, you did?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Poor oh, mother. That is no so mind. funny. She's forgiven me since. Yep. Oh, she <laughs> has. Oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it is intertwined, acting and writing, and it helps you become a better writer if you do have that acting background.
1: I think so. I think, um, well, maybe, perhaps you could argue that anyone working in the creative arts has to have a bit of a shapeshifter about them whatever aspect you're involved in whether it's technical or you know in front of the camera or as a host like yourself you you have to be able to shift into other people's perspectives and understand what everybody's needs are and offer your your slice that you know fits in perfectly into that wedge and um i just think it's a well, maybe some people would say it's an escapist thing. I don't think so. I just really am very nosy. I like to see what other people's heads feel like.
0: Mm-hmm. No, it makes sense. Um, yeah. I love the idea of of stepping back and looking at a family that has so many different personalities and dynamics, and they don't realize how funny they are at times. <laughs> I, I mean, my grandmother was so different than most older people. She would wear a tux... And oh, straighten her yes, hair. And, yeah, yeah. And she'd have a stuffed parrot that spoke, and she had all this different clashing artwork all over the walls, and she would flirt with the UPS man. I mean, I, she just. <laughs> I just. It's re- good. Yeah. It's important
1: to honor the eccentricities in your, in your family line, isn't it? And I think yes. that's why I was really passionate about um, having the whole clan in under Sardinian sky. I mean, a lot. Of you know, my family who have read it have said, well, actually, you know, Chia didn't actually do that. Of course you didn't actually. I know that I, you know, I took a little story from Mum that mm-hmm. she told me, you know, 10 years ago, and then I meshed it with another one from another auntie. And, you know, yes, it's my own watercolor version, but um, it is really, it, I feel very grateful to have been given the chance to to bring all these ancestors to life and kind of, Share them with a lot of people, it's a really wonderful feeling, especially, you know, these women in a tiny, remote little town in Sardinia who would, you know, I'm sure they didn't think while they were doing all their hard work, right? Maybe one day a niece of ours will write about us, you know.
0: I, you said something really important which I really like because as a writer, sometimes you are apprehensive to show your writings to your family, your friends, and, or you t- take what they say to heart and then you have second thoughts. I like that you just followed your heart and you did what you believed in and you just stood your ground. I think it's important
1: to know and decide who to listen to.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, I would say that it's not like I didn't listen to anyone. I'm so, you know, strong that I'm like, I'm doing everything on my own. I, I very quickly understood early on in the writing process when I was working with my editors that actually a writer isn't an island and that is a very weak position probably for most human interaction. But mm-hmm. in the end it is perfectly good and a very um, strong decision to reach out and take good criticism. So I work very closely with my agent and with my editors at Kensington in New York City and, and I learn a great deal from that relationship, um, which I draw a parallel to working with a really good director, can't tell you how to act, but they can ask you the right questions and you come up with the answer and that's your creativity that no one else can do, just be your reply. Yes. And it's the same with an editor. So I decided very early, these are the people I will listen to and then I had lots of very close friends who are very bright, who, um, you know, very literary and, and do all sorts of different jobs, but they're very erudite and Early on, I kind of reached out to them, and I was quickly listening to that little voice going, too many, too many <laughs> people. <laughs> you know, writing it for all these people, you just want to get it out.
0: Yes. Um, no, it's you're a fine right. fine line, isn't it? it? It's a very fine line. <laughs> now, that brings me back. We only have a couple more minutes, but the theme okay. of my show is Get the Funk Out. and Yeah, I love that title. Thank you. <laughs> how, how, <laughs> so how do you stay level-headed in such a stressful you know, creative industry. How do you, what do you do to take care of yourself creatively and keep out of a funk?
1: Well, two, well, several things, eh? So this year, I have to say I've had a few moments of, oh, that's the way. One, for me, is not to chase level-headedness because I'm not always level-headed and I'm not always good at the long game. And I've learned that, um... That's probably a strength of mine that to focus on things for short, sharp, intense periods is okay. I used to see it as a weakness, which is why I never wrote because, well, I can't keep going writing for a whole novel. I mean, maybe a page or maybe a column or something, mm-hmm. you know. So, first, I suppose not to chase some ideal version of myself. That is a really big illumination. To be very clear with my family on what I need so if I do need chunks of solitude and I say chunks I mean like an hour or two I don't mean like two months I'll see you later look after each other
0: yeah
1: <laughs> um but to be very clear about what I need and I think also to let myself really off the hook um I think women are really good at feeling like they have to micromanage everything
0: mm-hmm. and
1: be responsible for everyone oh yes um <laughs> And I think it's good to be a lioness when you need to be, but it's also good just to be a bear and go in your cave and to know maybe which animal you're supposed to be at what time. I love that. Um, And just be very clear about what you need. It's not easy. No. It's messy. Like even this morning, I was sending the kids off to soccer camp with um, my husband, and he's like, you're anxious. I know. I'm editing Chapter 15 of Book 2, and I don't know... I don't know what I'm doing, and even as the words are spilling out, I'm thinking, well, it's okay. There's always more, more time yes. than you think.
0: Right. And you don't know where your inspiration is going to come from. I, this past week, I, I uh, blocked out about two and a half hours, and I wrote about 1,800 words, a short story, ah. and I, you get into the zone where you think, where did that come from? Where did I go? Yeah. I disappeared yeah. into this... It's kind of exhausting, but it's a creative tunnel. And when, yes, it, when out, yes, mm-hmm. and when you come out, yes, and when you come out, you can't, yeah, you, Sorry, I no, no, it's me. fine. I, you, I'm sure you can relate to that.
1: Absolutely. And I think you have to fall back into the quiet um, and really, you know, observe the thoughts coming in. I've got to make dinner and then this is in a mess and I should probably uh, tidy up that and then everyone's going to come home really hungry. And if everyone's hungry, then they're going to be really ratty and then ro- <laughs> and you have to just watch the, the thoughts, like the sort of, you know, like underneath the news, you see the rolling headings. Yes. Just kind of watch them roll by and go, yes, that's that. You're right. Meanwhile, in the quiet, which follows me everywhere, I can just step in, but I have to kind of observe both first and make a very conscious move,
0: you know. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Not Un- easy. No, it's, it's possible. not. <laughs> Un- unfortunately, we do have to wrap up. No uh, problem. I'm me. really pleased to talk with you. Oh. I've been listening to your program this morning, and it's oh, great. Thank you. Yes. Where can people yes. find out more about you?
1: Well, Under Siding and Sky is um, available to buy in anywhere that sells books and online. But also, I have my website, which is net. I'm on Facebook, and I'm on Twitter. and learning about that. So I'm a bit of a technophobe.
0: That's all right. <laughs> and uh, I also have an
1: Instagram account, so yeah.
0: Perfect. I'm online, finally. All right. And if anybody is listening, if you missed part of my conversation with Sarah Alexander, it will be up on my show blog within an hour after I wrap, and that is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. And I am on Twitter at moms underscore rock. Sarah, thank you so much for calling in. Thank you. My pleasure. Have a wonderful day. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Again, that was Sarah Alexander calling in to talk about her latest book. And uh, we'll take a little break, and then we're going to be joined by the band Brio. You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. If you want to follow me on Twitter, just visit moms, M-O-M-Z, underscore rock. I'm also on Facebook at Janine, J-A-N-E-A-N-E, Bernstein, B-E-R-N-S-T-E-I-N. The show blog is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. And if you'd like to find out about being a guest, just send me an email to Janine, J-A-N-E-A-N-E, at kuci.org. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.